Listener Production. The following episode of Fofop is rated MA. It contains alternating hosts, a rotating roster of guests, and mild course language. Fofop advises that it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15, or anyone who came here looking for one of those highbrow NPR type podcasts. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deek speaking. Hello, hello, and welcome to Fofop. I'm Charlie Clark. Hello, and welcome to Fofop. I'm Charlie Clawson, and my guest this week is responsible for that live acoustic introduction, Osher Ginsberg. Welcome back to the show. Hi, it's so nice. Thank you so much for asking me back. And um, if for people, if anybody's watching, the sound that you just heard was made by this. It's a Hona Melodica, and this exact model with exact paint job is the very instrument that Joff Bush composed um, the music for uh, a song you may know. The, the bluey theme song. I saw the uh, interview you did with um, oh, the actress. Melanie Zanetti. What's her name? Melanie Zanetti. And I got nervous for you playing that for her because I'm like, oh, I don't want to muck up the theme in front of Chile. Well, it got even worse because a couple of weeks back I actually interviewed Joff on the show and that's coming out in a, in a week or two. And um, I, look, I, I was a very, very nerdy, nerdy music kid for a long, long time and then I played in bands that, I mean, we weren't – Look, we were insisted on playing contrapuntal funk. Like, so, look, why not make it in seven, eight, and nine, eight? You know, why not? Well, who needs a four, four beat? And so I thought I had my odd time signatures down, but then Joff explained to me and he unlocked the key of the Bluey mm-hmm. theme song. It is musical statues. And he's written, he wrote it specifically to make it okay to fall over. The first break is a break of four counts, the second right. break is a break of five counts. The next, so it right. goes back a beat every time, so it never comes in right, and that's why he said, and that's why everyone always makes it gets it wrong because it's written for that. <laughs> it took me so long, though. I've been watching Bluey for maybe a year and a half before I realised that's what was actually happening in the opening credits was musical statues. It wasn't until I saw the episode musical statues that I'm like, oh, that's what's going on. Because I don't think I ever played, or maybe I did as a kid, but I don't certainly don't remember it. But that let me look. I know you and I always let's nerd out on Bluey oh. for a second <laughs> because. I've been watching it again. Uh, I only sort of drifted away from it for a bit. Paw Patrol came flying. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she's really obsessed with Paw Patrol. And I get it because it's like it's easy to watch and stuff. But, God, the writing is so bad compared to Bluey. And then I sort of steered her back onto the Mate, just while we're on Paw Patrol, Wolf had the same thing. He took a detour off of Octonauts. He got out of the Octopod for a second. He got on a Paw Patrol. And every second Paw Patrol episode is like a, here's the cat crew. And it, oh no, you're just introducing five new toys. That's it. There's no reason for anyone to be here. And look at her car. It's like, no, there's no need for any of this. You're just selling merch, you fuckers. Yeah, okay, but come on. Let's think about when we were kids, and that's all Saturday morning cartoons were. I told like Transformers, like, Brave Star. I was Star. watching He-Man, and like, why are we here? And who are these five guys? I and then the next week in the shops, oh. Yeah, you just they're just paid advertorial, so I don't really have a problem with that so much. And Bluey merchandise the hell out of their show. I think that's fine. It's more just like I I look at the way I think for her it's there is a deeper kind of life lessons. Like I own I I, I honestly wonder sometimes how much of her personality comes from what she's learned from Bluey, like her <laughs> sense of humor, <laughs> her sensibilities, because there's so much stuff that she like that she quotes or that she brings up or that she mentions, like I'm 90% certain she thinks I'm bandit. Like the way she expects me to play with her, the way we behave, the games we play. She loves playing um, uh, not musical statues but uh, the sta- the magical statue episode where Bingo pretends to be a statue and then, you know, uh, he, uh, Bandit puts her down in one place and she runs off. Yeah. Like Iona and I will do that for like – an hour. Oh yeah. Where I'll just I'll just go into the statue shop, I'll buy a statue, I'll put it down, and then I'll be like, this is the perfect place for my statue. I better not turn my back. And then I, she runs off. And I'm like, well, I guess there's worse kind of influences 
to have. Like, I didn't have a show as wholesome. I think it was like Doctor Who and the Wombles. No, nah, uh, nothing as good. Nothing as. Nothing well, maybe as Monkey good. Magic. Nothing. Monkey as good. Magic was probably the. Oh, the that was very earliest. wholesome. It was very Buddhist. Maybe that's why I kind of half worried yeah. the reason why I turned out the way, I, and also why I'm also I'm quite afraid of water demons. Um, yeah, which is awesome. There is a, but there is some strange kind of like I've gone back and watched some Monkey lately on YouTube, some highlights, and there is some kind of non-PC uh, stuff that is was in the Man, old I Monkey. Man, I remember but an episode just- where a woman smothered a baby to death at like four in the afternoon. There's an episode where Monkey chases a demon to his cave and the demon slams the door shut and Monkey's banging on the stone that covers the cave entrance and he comes, come out and fight me, you coward, you poofta. And I'm like, what? Where's that come from? That's a very 1970s insult. Not only did you do a faux Chinese accent, you also threw some like- like (laughs) Some casual homophobia. Wow, but hey, we were directly quoting a show made in Hong Kong a long time ago. No, but in a land but far away. No, I don't think it was. I think it was a Japanese was show of a Chinese myth translated into that's English. Correct. So that's right. it's kind of like the Highlander. You know, Highlander. <laughs> you have a Frenchman playing a Scotsman, directed by an Australian. <laughs> like something culturally is going to get yeah. lost in the translation. Yeah. yeah. The, the, look on the back to blue for just a moment. Um, if you watch any volume of kids shows, you will know that very quickly you get super sick of the music because they just use the same production music every time and it, it can really annoy you it annoys me but bluey joff writes six entirely new minutes of score for every episode and uh i, I won't spoil the, sh- the interview but um y- you can thank your good friend kurosawa here for why the why you feel super emotional at the payoff in the final act of a bluey episode um it's got to do not only with the writing but also the way that joff uh, sees the writing and then works with that writing in his score. It's a sensational. Um, that, one of the things I love the most about Bluey, besides the fact that it shows Brisbane on television, is, is mm. the music and it's and it's yeah the music. Inc- the album I will often just listen to the yeah. album on my own. Yeah. Like the score is so yeah. great, and it is. You're right though. Like there is an emotional kind of journey, like a seven minute emotional journey. Like I think Sleepy Time oh, is you know everyone's favorite episode. Yeah. You know, won the won the international Emmy or whatever it was. But the score to that is so moving. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I often wonder if I had sort of heard the score before I saw, you know, knew what the story was, if it would affect me in the same way. But now I hear those strings and I'm just like, oh, God, like your mother will always be there to protect you. Yeah. And, you know, using Gustav Holtz, using the Planet Symphony uh, in, the, in the music, it's, it's extraordinary. Yeah, it's it's really good. There's another really brilliant one where he uses because I talked to him about that about using classical music in and a way to have classical music in kids' lives every day, which is beautiful. Um, the episode uh, where called bike uh, where Bluey is at the park and she doesn't want to learn how to ride the riding the bike's hard, so she gives up, and it's mm-hmm. Ode to Joy, and yeah. uh, deliberately every Die Hard's Ode to Joy yeah, every t- every time. <laughs> Every time she tries, it's just a little bit. It's a. It's it's like someone. If you listen to it closely, you can hear it uh, being played as if it were by a kid learning. And there's a mistake every time when she falls off, or when the kid's trying to put the backpack on, or the kids are trying to climb the thing. And then at the end, of course, then it's the chorus and everything. And then I'm just, I'm just in tears <laughs> again, yeah. crying, watching a bluey episode full of emotion. It's, it's funny because we used to joke about it, like Will and I, before I was a parent about Bluey, how like Will will never be the ABC's biggest uh, celebrity because Bluey, you know, has taken that mantle. And we used to joke about him being sort of bested by this cartoon dog. But now that I have watched the show and I'm invested, I'm like, well, there's no shame losing No, no, Bluey. no. Ben Hilo will be a better man than all of us forever. <laughs> all of us. And ever. Like, well, maybe that's probably more what it is. You know, I'm saying that, oh, how much of Iona's personality is built around Bluey. But I've got to be honest, how much of my own parenting is built around Bandit? Because I think that's the greatest lesson of the show, right, is how do you as a parent make play like and, and being present an active part of your parenting, you know, and uh, allowing your child to to sort of explore their imagination and 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 going with stuff rather than sort of like rigidly sort of compartmentalizing, okay, now is playtime kids sort of bounce around and have ideas and can you be present enough and flexible enough to just go with it? And that's something that I reckon Bandit has definitely imparted I've to heard, me. I think Joe, Joe Brom, who created it, uh, is has a 
we owe Joe a lot. We owe, and Daly Pearson, who produced that for Ludo, we owe them a lot. They're, I've heard of GPs say to new parents, just watch Bluey. Just just watch Bluey. Uh, there's an extraordinary episode where it's called Wagon Ride and they're going down to the park and Bandit keeps running into neighbours and having a chat and Bluey keeps wanting to yeah. interrupt. And the yeah. whole, just just put your hand on me, that's why I know you're there. And yes, it's, it's you know, we're seeing a kid struggle with not interrupting a parent, but we're also being modelled how a parent, it's like, oh, this is how you can deal with it and not yell at them. Like, oh, yeah. shit, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. And like that, we've used that. Like, I mean, not so much put your hand on the elbow, but like, because Iona is just, she's injecting herself and we say, it's absolutely fine for you to want to be included in the conversation, but there is a way that you get our attention. And if mummy and daddy are talking to each other or talking to someone, you say, excuse me, and we'll acknowledge you. And then you'll be invited into the conversation. And it has more or less worked. The thing, the thing that I struggle with, and I was talking to my therapist about it yesterday is it's amazing how even with all these like great examples and stuff, like kids can still trigger you. Like it's just, they, they just do that one thing. or say that one thing that just sort of gets under your skin. And, you know, I was sort of saying to my therapist yesterday, like, Oh, like, you know, I just wish I, sometimes I, I just, I'll react, you know, she refuses to get dressed or she refuses to have a bath or she's not eating or she won't even sit at the kitchen table. And, and I take the bait, you know, rather than sort of like being the mature, rather than being banded or chilly, like, you know, just having all the answers, I get angry and I snap back. And then I feel such a, like a deep sense of shame after that. Cause like, Oh, come on, man. Like, you know, you're just being like your dad was, or, or, or you're not, you're not intellectually, I can understand what I should do, but I, I allowed the kind of the, the, the emotion to get in. And my therapist was like, yeah, but you're being really hard on yourself. Like, you know, you're, it's, 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 no one is saying parenting is easy. And this idea that you sort of like look at the tape after an event and then go, oh, you, you failed. You did a bad job there. Well, how, how is that being productive? Like, I think it's well and good to want to do better, but then to sort of punish yourself and think, I mean, there's enough parenting guilt out there as there is. If Marie Kondo can throw the towel in, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, if, if you don't mean Marie Kondo, you know, the tidying up show yeah. that was on Netflix. If it doesn't bring you joy. If it doesn't spark joy, then like and, and her, how everything was amazing. And like, and then she came out a couple of weeks back going, oh, man, I'm like three kids. Oh, fuck, I'm giving all that shit up. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting though, isn't it? Because I don't know if it's a, if it's just part of this sort of social media world we live in where we're constantly sort of exposed to perfect lives or perfect parenting, perfect bodies, perfect this, perfect that. And so it, 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 it compels us to have a more critical view of every aspect of our life or – if this is just, you know, you know, time immemorium. I mean, maybe not. I think 40 years ago for our dads, would there be no expectation of us being heavily involved in the in the raising of the child? Oh no. No, no, certainly not. Because there was no chance of your that your female if you had a female partner, there was certainly no chance of her actually having a career. So I did say um there was some guy online uh, Rihanna, I think she's on the cover of Vogue or Vanity Fair or one of those magazines, and it was like this very striking image of her, you know, uh, walking along a beach in her designer dress and she's holding her husband's hand and he's cradling their baby. And there was this uproar from kind of like men online about what is this? Like it's just reinforcing this idea that men are subjugated by women. It's just like, holy shit, I'm amazed that that notion like still exists, that people like how insecure must you be about your own sort of status or your own place in a relationship that you feel like allowing your partner to walk in front of you on the beach is somehow like subjugation. I I don't know how, you know, culturally, you know, how much that image uh, differs from the norm of that person's everyday life. It must be, you know, for some people that would be a staggering thing to witness for someone who, you know, it would be like unbelievable if that culturally they just hadn't been exposed to that or it wasn't an idea that was around. Of course, it would be, um, you know, pretty confronting. I've got, I got this new show at the moment and I've been trying to 
really dig into the philosophy of why I'm doing it. Like I know why I wanted to make it. It's this kind of fake news show and I'm enrolled because it's not just me. Like a podcast is just me. I don't have to explain to other people why I want to make the show and I can make the interviews on the show in alignment with it, you know, with the the core of what I'm trying to do. Like on DadPod, we we have a why that we want to make DadPod and the two of us communicated that. And so when we make DadPod, everything comes back to that. And it's kind of easy because there's two of us. I'm working with, you know, uh, front of house people. I'm working with camera ops. I'm working with some like eight cast. And so I'm having to think a lot about how can I communicate what the show's about and the core of why, why I want to make this show about the news and, and the news of the day and how we look at the news. And so I've been digging into like wildly the philosophy about the news. And there's a stunning book by Alain de Botton. Uh, it's called The News. And he it's brilliant uh, to, to, to listen to. And he talks a lot about, you mentioned before, the uh, something that triggered it was the, um, the, the envy and the jealousy and that this is a part of human progress, all right? Oh, that person seems to have a far better relationship with their family than I do. I, I want a bit of that. What are they doing? How do I get that? Like, well, that person's got a better meal or a larger portion or in a more quality house. They seem safer than from the storm than I do. How do I get that? This is a part of how we evolve, right? Yeah, there's an aspect of it. You know, there's an act, you know, sometimes it helps you find what you actually want in life. And we might be exposed to things like that where we compare our achievement or ourselves or our bodies or our face or our family or our parenting skills. Maybe it's once a year, if we're lucky, you know, up until 2009 or something, 2000, sorry, 2006 with the creation of YouTube and then nine with Twitter. And yet now, you know, I am seeing perfect fatherhood participated by perfectly shaped fathers with no body fat <laughs> with doing, still finding time to do pb squats and braiding their daughter's hair and being you know date night best husband ever like 40 times a day <laughs> like i'm not i'm not i'm not equipped to deal with that level of envy and jealousy charlie yeah oh me either and it's also like when you're already suffering from like a very vocal inner critic like it just makes everything so much worse, you know, and that's kind of what I was talking about with my therapist is like intellectually I can understand what's going on here. I understand how social media works. I understand yeah. that it is a envy-built system, you know, yeah. and that the things that we linger on, you know, the algorithm takes note of and goes, oh, that he was just checking out like a like a, a personal trainer's workout video. So let's send him more of that and let's just reinforce the fact that he doesn't have a six-pack anymore. And all that yeah. Inferior re-adults is your problem. But it's but it's also just that kind of you know I wonder now you know they say that sort of the adult and you're someone who's gone through this the adult diagnosis of ADHD has gone up um, and there is probably some correlation with the uh, advent of social media with ADHD but I was talk because I am booked in to get assessed and I don't necessarily I don't necessarily think that I need medication if it turns out that I do have adult ADHD but I would like to know if I do, just in case for Iona's sake, if she sort of uh, comes across any learning difficulties later on or, or if there's anything that behaviorally that I can identify with and go, okay, well, I understand. I've, got, I've gone through this experience myself. But she was saying to me that, oh, she, um, she has a lot of clients come in who think they have ADHD, adult ADHD. But she said generally like, a lot of people like anxiety and ADHD sort of the symptoms are very, very similar. And she was saying that, uh, you know, for a lot of her clients who think they have ADHD, it's really more about PTSD, ah. childhood trauma, ah. things like that, which are, of course makes it hard for them to focus mm. because they've got that racing mind. Mm -hmm. They're constantly projecting the future. That's why they find it hard to focus. That's why they forget things. And so she was saying like 100% get the diagnosis done. Um, but also be aware that if you are dealing with anxiety, that these things can um, be mistaken for wow. each other. That's that's so so interesting. I'm actually I'm actually in de I'm developing a documentary about um, ADHD at the moment, and the it goes for it goes for five minutes because yeah. <laughs> that's as long as people can concentrate. For. Uh, yeah. It no, starts I mean, off a documentary on ADHD, five, it and then it quickly for, changes track. It doesn't go for five minutes. Someone's just scrolling eBay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it does have it does have a, a picture in picture of just cat videos. Yeah. 
in the corner so you don't look away. Uh, but it's really, it's really interesting. Forty minutes of non sequitur. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very, it's very interesting um, finding out about you know just you know discovering a lot of the misconceptions and things and. You know, essentially, it's it's based loosely based upon my own experience of I don't feel disordered, even though I have four things that uh, have a disorder in them. Uh, apparently, uh, I don't feel disordered, and it's just how brains are different, and some some brains are different, and some brains aren't. And the idea that now you know it's 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 around all of a sudden. It's similarly to maybe twenty years ago, twenty five years ago, when there were no fMRI machines and then the fMRI machine was created and then now we can actually see inside people's brains while they're experiencing emotion and now we can go oh wow you actually you like you have this I can't remember the name this the um the condition but you can't you can't actually recognize people's faces you know and we never oh, okay that explains why we, we didn't we didn't know that and so all of a sudden there's this huge uptick in diagnoses for this thing uh, but we just didn't have the way of testing and it's only very recently that you know, they've all kind of got together and gone, oh, yeah, well, if these criteria are met, we would consider that that, that is within the spectrum of ADHD. And what by that, mean, we mean people who would probably respond to some amount of treatment. And here's a smaller thing of people that would respond to some amount of pharmaceutical treatment. Um, and so it's, like, it's not like it's, it's a new thing. You know, neurodiversity has always been around. And, uh, you know, I mean, in the same way that when I got diagnosed OCD, my doctor said to me straight away, he goes, well, why do you think you've got the career you've got? I would dare, I would absolutely say that the only reason I have the life I have and I have achieved some of the things that I've achieved is because I have a brain. 100%. That I, look at, just... I look at the stuff that you're doing all the time. Like You are the hardest working person I know. Like I don't think I've, I've met anyone as like slavishly committed to self-generation <laughs> as you. Like even though you have like, uh, you know, I, mean, I know your, your job is, your main job is seasonal, but still there's a lot of people who would not work as hard when they're not working like you do. I mean, this new comedy show, N-T-N-N-N-N, is that right? Four N's? Night, five. Nighttime, five Nighttime News Network National Nightly News. Nightly News. Now, this is something that you have just created out of thin air. This is something that you were just like, okay, I mean, I just want to create a live uh, satirical news show. Mm. Where did it come from? What was the inspiration? Oh, uh, well, I think like most most people who work, and I, I we've spoken about this before, but my, my favourite movie quote used to be, we're going to need a bigger boat because it worked for many, many things. It was kind of funny to say at parties. Uh, oh, we're going to need a bigger boat. Now, and for about the last 10 years or so, it has been Hyman Roth to Michael Corleone and Godfather Part 2. This is the business we have chosen. <laughs> you know, I've chosen this life. I've chosen this life of 10 weeks of work at a time, 12 weeks of work at a time, uh, being uh, subject to market forces well beyond my ability to, that have nothing to do with my ability to deliver, uh, you know, my job. I can do my job expertly and I'd like to think I do, but that has nothing to do with whether or not the show will come back. And my manager in LA once told me, <clears throat> he said, mate, if you, uh, unless you're hosting at six o'clock news, no matter how big the show is, one day your show is going to get cancelled. You've got to be ready for that day. And that's happened to me before. When Idol went away, I had nothing, nothing, um, nothing except a mortgage that I had got based upon the pre-GFC Idol money. And so I was like, fucking hell, what do I do now? So part of this creating this show is, uh, you know, I think it's also wanting to own something like with the podcast. Uh, I, you know, it's it's my IP, it's my idea. I can I am able to exploit it and move it and change it as much as or little as I like. And I also, all the massive breakthroughs in my career have come from me creating something. Have come from me on spec building something that has then put me in front of people who go, oh, that's along the lines of the thing we're looking for. And boom, that has you know. It is basically manufacturing serendipity. And so I've always wanted to host a satirical news show, but no one's going to come and knock on my front door and say, hey, buddy, it's late night. It's 11 o'clock. Um, it's an open time slot, so you can swear all you like. Off you go. Here's your writing team. How do you start tomorrow? That's not going to happen. So I just made it. And it's amazing and seditious and dangerous and terrifying. And I'm doing it all. You know, I, I rig cameras. I, I build, I, you know, got a mate to build me a microphone rig. I, I mic people up before the show. I take the mics off at the end of the show. I, I write the whole thing. Um, it's a big days, but it's, it's amazing, man. 
You're a carny. I mean, <laughs> in the best possible sense. No, I mean that like that's a compliment in the sense that like it's about putting on a show and it's about being hands-on and it's about actually creating entertainment out of nothing. And I think you're 100% right. Like you can be given golden opportunities mm. and that does happen, but they are so rare. Yeah. And even when those opportunities occur, there is no guarantee with any of them. No guarantee that the show will be a success. No guarantee there'll be a second season. No guarantee. But the stuff that you're making from the ground up, like it's what I admire most about you is there is a, for someone who has been so open um, about their mental health battles and the things that they confront and the self-doubt and the second guessing and the inner critic and all these kind of things, that you still throw yourself into these new experiences and these new opportunities with a, from the outside at least, it looks like a fearlessness. You've got to, otherwise that stuff wins. You've got to. I'm terrified. I'm standing on stage and I trust, you know, there's people I trust who I know will give me good feedback because they're all test shows, right? Everything's a test show. And even the ones that are at Melbourne, at the Comedy Festival in Melbourne, they'll still be test shows because we're just literally making it up as we go. And so I've invited a number of people who I I really, really trust, like people from Chaser and, and things like this, who I know after the show, I will be able to call them the next day and go, all right, what did I miss? What did I hit? Where's the spot? Where can I? How can I get better? And it's terrifying. It's I'm so scared. I'm driving to this gig with a car full of stuff, just packing shit, doing all my deep breathing, and and trying so hard to calm myself. And then at the rig, you know, I'm rigging it, and I'm, I'm I'm so scared. But if I don't just keep moving, then that fear stops it from ever happening, and I cannot let that fear win. I, I've been there before, Charlie, and I will not. It's fucking so frightening. My entire career is on the line any night. You know, it's completely live and improvised. I have to read a disclaimer before the show. We could blow the whole thing up saying the wrong thing about the wrong person like that, right? And it's so scary. But I Are people allowed to bring phones in? Are people allowed to film? They do, but I, I do say something before the show. I say, look, if you film, like try not to fuck us, all right? If you... Out of context improv is never really video of out of context improv very rarely works, um, and so do you do you understand how devastating it could be? <laughs> and what about like the people you the performers you have on stage? Yeah. Like, do they feel? I mean, are, are they? Do, I mean, obviously they're kind of pros at this or they're, they're experienced yeah, they're at this. But good. do you think that there is the same level of apprehension that you have about like we're trialing something? Oh or no, no, just they're all they they are amazingly they talented people, Charlie. Amazingly talented people, and you know I'm doing as much as I can, my very very best to support them in in what it is we're doing and being sure that we're mitigating the risk as much as possible and helping them. Like I write it in a particular way so we never get into a spot where you know I'm trying really hard that we're never directly impersonating someone or we're never directly you know we're just kind of adjacently commenting you know. <laughs> um, uh, yet still, you know, uh, helping them understand that it's because it's dangerous that it's amazing that people watch it and know at every moment moment this is a high wire act and know that like the other day we were talking about the <laughs> in new south wales they are you know both the current government and the opposition are, are promising if elected they will outlaw exorcisms on children as gay conversion therapy like why is this already not a fucking law? You know, like how is this already not a thing, you fuckers? And so we're talking about these really frightening topics that involve people in power, the church, or like it's really heavy shit. But it, we've got to talk about it because no one's fucking talking about it. No one's actually, you know, talking about the reality of what it is. And so we're managing to cover these really heavy, heavy things. And I think my cast, who I adore, they really understand what it is we're trying to do. We're trying to not necessarily smash the system but definitely question the status quo and question like just because we've always done that does that mean that that's the right thing to do and and it's 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 great it's so great and it, it is in that fear and i hear you know your your colleague will talk about it in fact he sat me he sat in this room and talked about it when he was doing his improvised shows he said the huge huge thrill is when he finds himself in a hole and then he and the audience both know he's got to find his way out, and that is the exciting part, and that that is what brings the excitement into the into the show because people understand that like this is they know a lot a lot is at stake. But 
you know, to your- so take me th- you- take me through the sorry to interrupt, but just like the because I understand, I I I sympathise or empathise with the fear part so much because I also feel like so much fear, and I think that's you know a huge obstacle to me or a huge block to a lot of my ambitions is the fear. So when you sort of are driving out to the gig and you're just racked with doubt and you're doing all the relax- relaxation exercises, and then like is it always the same experience where you have a high when you're performing, you know, there's that kind of rush of adrenaline and the, the audience reaction and then there's a come down or is it different each night? Like what are you learning uh, from? I'm still t- like- I'm still terrified. I'm, I'm terrified through the show. I'm terrified after the show. <laughs> So I also can't. A, I also can't hear a very white well. Knuckled experience. I also right. can't hear very well, so I can't hear if they're laughing a lot, which is the worst. I just have to trust that it's happening because <laughs> I. Yeah. Well, actually, you know what? But that's kind of maybe not a bad thing because you're. I mean, like I know sometimes you have to sort of play off the audience response, but if your assumption is they're not laughing at all, it keeps you sort of focused. Do you know hard. what I mean? Like you're not going to get complacent yeah. at, at any stage. And it's only maybe you know, the, the next day or the day after when I finally ingested all the footage and I'm listening back to it or watching it back that I kind of go, oh, that was a good bit. That was a really good bit. But if uh, in the past, uh, I have let the fear stop me from starting. And early on, uh, maybe 2008, 2007, 2008, I happened upon to be at the private horse racing stud farm of a man who launched KFC, Sizzler, and Lone Star Steakhouse into Australia. Uh, an extraordinary business operator by the name of Fobler Point. Unbelievably successful guy. And we were there and the sun was going down and I said, uh, what's, your, what's, your, what's your rule number one, Bob? And Bob, in his kind of glorious, I think he's from Maine, might be Canadian, sorry, Bob, accent, he says to me, whatever problems you think are going to get in the way, that are preventing you from beginning are never as big as the problems you actually encounter. So just start and you'll figure it out. And since he told me that, that's kind of what I've done. That's what I did with the podcast. It's what I did with the book. It's what I did when I did the live show based on the back of my book, Charlie, I booked the booked the rooms and put the tickets on sale before I'd written the show. Like, okay, we just got to go now. <laughs> There's no chance. There's no way out. And it's the same with this stuff, you know. Um, we book the gigs and we line people up and, okay, you just go. Now you've just got to go because uh, otherwise I never, I never move. Are you a goal setter? Are you a vision board kind of guy? Like do you no, goal I'm set your vision, vision board? I'm not really do you do any of that board. stuff? kind of guy. Um, I have an idea of, you know, where I'd like to be, I think. And I'm I, I'm along that path now. I'd like to have a little more freedom of choice around um, I don't know, where I go on holiday and what my house looks like. Uh, how yeah. much is in my super. Yeah. Uh, I would like that to be a bigger number. But other than that, I'm, you know, I'm I'm in I'm acting in accordance with my values. And doing this particular project that's very much in accordance with my values. I mean, you know me, I can be a serious fucker sometimes. I can get into the depths of like fast. And this is really helping me find out a way to do that and and be funny while doing it and helping people not be so morose. Because it could be a terrible conversation talking about gay conversion therapy and what that's doing to children. You know, it could be horrible to have that conversation. Or we could stand on stage and make jokes about it, <laughs> which we did. Well, I think, well, I think that like, would, I'm always a believer that like, you know, it's when you sort of are constricted by either like time or, you know, the format of a show, radio show, TV show, whatever, that's when that stuff gets really. But if you're, And I haven't seen your stage show, but I imagine if you have the room to actually generally like explore a subject, act it out, joke about it or whatever, then you can find the humor within the serious subject matter. And so that's why I love podcasting is I think that, you know, there's many things that get brought up in podcasts. You're like, geez, that's an uncomfortable, awkward subject. Why did he ask that question? And what's the response going to be? And more often than not, when someone is given the chance to explain their point of view or when an issue is analyzed from like multiple angles rather than we need to get this in a 30-second soundbite, 
you realize that, oh, yeah, there, there can be kind of humor in dark stuff. Yeah. You know, there can be serious stuff to kind of humor. Yeah. Is that what you're sort of finding with the show? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we are. And and you're right. There's some things that don't get talked about in public because you just don't have an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah. Because you know, that's how long it's going to take uh, if you want to get a proper grasp on what's going on. And that, mm. so a lot of the times these things are marginalized, talked about in five words or less, and either, you know, put in this box of bad or that box of good when nothing's ever in one of those boxes at all. We've also been conditioned yeah. to receive our information that way too. Yeah. Like, you know, we're sort of getting polarized further and further to whatever your your tribe is or your camp. And, you know, we're being fed. We have algorithms that are sort of drip feeding us stuff to our echo chamber. This is true. This is true. And I'm, I'm very aware yeah. of that. I'm also very aware of the fact that I am, I, I look at the world only through the eyes that I have. And they are the eyes of a, you know, 49 year old white guy who grew up in the safe in the suburbs of Brisbane. To I'm an immigrant, but no one gives a shit because I'm white. And, you know, I've, 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 I have the, the means to, you know, see a specialist tomorrow because I can afford the gap if I need to. You know, I, I, I know that that's how I look at the world. So I'm very, very mindful of, uh, making sure that on stage I have, where there's six of us in total on stage, I make sure I do my very best to make sure at least half of them are women. And because of the sheer volume of, of shows that we're doing, I'm, I'm getting a, people are coming to help me out to write it. And aside from one of them, that no, no, none of them are, are white guys in their twenties. They're all, they're all, they're all women. And it's really important because I'm, I don't know what I'm not seeing. I don't know what I'm not looking for and I don't want to – I also don't want to miss aspects. I don't want to miss the the glint in the facet that I'm not seeing. You know, I'm only looking at one side of the diamond, you know, like what else – what else is there? What's another part of this that I'm that I'm missing? I'm also interested to see how the, how how it looks from other angles, and that's uh, really helpful. Having said that, you're not a white guy in your 20s, so if you can help me write, I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to hear from me, Osh. No one. No one's interested in hearing what a middle-aged white guy, straight white. It's guy not. Has to so, say. There's nowhere for a middle-aged white. I'm, I'm, I'm being silenced. Oh, no. When's it? When's it going to be straight? Straight white man Pride Day, Osh? That's what I want. <laughs> Oh, hell. <laughs> oh man, it is. We're recording this during Pride Week, and I was just up at Bondi Junction on the bicycle, and uh, it is on up there. It is like it's happening. It is super duper happening. I, yeah, I've got some athletic gym shorts on today. I look like I am in the baggiest of mid two thousand baggy jeans. <laughs> like that, like that's putting the hot and hot pants, mate. Like, whew, I wish my ass looked like that. It's it's happening up there. It's good. It's all good. What's the uh, up in the uh, the Northern Rivers where where I'm recording at the moment? Uh, we are we're getting a, a bit of rain up here. Not uncommon. There's a, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's a little triggering for some people. I, I've obviously with the events of, of last year. Um, what's the weather like in Sydney? Oh, it's lovely. It's a lovely day. Okay, it's a it's, a, it's a lovely day. It's a lovely day. And look, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> What what's been happening up in your neck of the woods has been a bit has been pretty shit. You know what was it six thousand two hundred homes uh, had to be pretty much evacuated and were deemed as like no nah, no nah, it's completely uninsurable, and ten have managed to get on the buyback scheme. Like come on guys, yeah come on. It's very slow up here. And you know the other thing, like just anecdotally, my from my own experience is that the amount of people that you just meet casually in a day that you'll talk to who have lost a house. <laughs> Like anytime you want to sort of get a reality check when you think your problems, uh, oh God, I lost a podcast. <laughs> it's the worst thing that's ever happened. Yeah. And then you talk to someone, oh yeah, I lost a house. Yeah. We lost an entire house. Yeah. It, literally it literally isn't where I left away. it. Yeah. <laughs> in the last two weeks, I've spoken to three different people, all of whom have lost houses in, in not in the same area either, in different parts of the Northern Rivers. Um and it does make you sort of, I mean, you know, this is something that I know you are, uh, you're all over in terms of climate, but like, you know, the guy, our guy I was talking to even this morning who um, lost his house in Ocean Shores and he said, you know, he's lived here for 40 years. And it's like areas that do not flood normally are flooding now. And he's gone, it's frightening. <laughs> like you just do not, 
that was not happening even 10 years no, ago. No, and it's, it's these are the sort of things we need to have longer conversations about. These are, you know, really important things to talk about how, you know, uh, waterside and oceanside councils around Australia are simply jiggering the numbers so they don't have to be exposed to some sort of insurance risk or- Insurance, And it's yeah. fucked. Because they're like, oh, no, 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 it was 0.8 metres, but now our new tolerance is 1.3 metres so that we don't have to, like some fucking stuff like that to keep you yeah. know housing prices at where they are and show that they're not at risk. Like, come on, man. There's people's homes and their lives at stake. And the, look, it's going to come to a head, Charlie. It's going to happen. It's going to happen where the physics yeah. doesn't give a fuck. It's just going to happen. Do you think it will come to yeah. a head? I don't know that it will. I just sort of feel like there's this innate um, – whether it's like a kind of a uh, like a numbing effect or whatever, but like we move on from these natural disasters so quickly. Like it feels like I think there is this commercial imperative which keeps driving us, you know, to continue buying property and and and, and opening up land and developing and stuff. And there is this it just there is a we're very good at just blinkering ourselves to the reality of what's going on. I think yes, sure, there will be a point at which. Bondi's underwater, you know, or, or you know any of these like oceanfront properties. But I think then, as it, we'll just we'll just move inland and we'll have new waterfront, and there won't be this kind of I I just don't think there is enough will for a collective movement towards climate action, like the dramatic climate action. Unfortunately, we're talking about. yeah, unfortunately, you're right. I, I kind of get the feeling that it's going to need a combination of, unfortunately. Well, fortunately, because they seem to be able to get things done, it's going to- Revolution? Well, Is that what you're saying, Osh? No, it'll be a conservative no. leader because these things tend to only happen under conservative leaders. Malcolm Fraser, for example, allowing all those extraordinary, incredible humanitarian effort, letting the Vietnamese refugees come, the boat people. That was unbelievable. Uh, you know, Liberal Party was- Un- incredible, and you know the one that I think of is uh, Howard. You know, as many things I disagree with him, and his government and the policies that they undertook um, got guns out of our country. Um, there's going to be it's going to be something colossal, something along the lines of where it becomes absolutely crystal fucking clear that most of Gosford cannot cannot be where it is, and there'll be. This huge amount of people who are like it'll need to be in a heartland seat. Unfortunately, you're not in a you're not in a liberal seat. You're in you know that's not where you are. It'll have to be in a liberal conservative seat when hundreds hundred thousand homes just get written off the insurance register, and there'll be this moment where as a country we go right, and this is what managed retreat, managed retreat is, and this is our policy, and and that'll be it. And then that's the that'll be the framework that we move forward with. But unfortunately, until it happens nothing's going to change. It's very sad, um, but that's kind of how- But don't you think that like with what's happened with bushfires and floods in the last three years, that, I mean, if that wasn't enough of a kind of like impetus to make these changes happen wholesale, like, you know, or at least some kind of like more actionable policy. I mean, yeah, you know, they shut down one mine, but then they open up 150 gas projects. (laughs) It's like, what the fuck? It's perfection, isn't it? It's beautiful. Like, how can you not have a comedy show about the news right now? It's just, it just keeps on giving. Uh, Look, I think it also comes down to uh, it comes down to campaign funding. It comes down to fun- party funding, and until we can decouple the governmental process from uh, private interest, uh, particularly mining interest, it's going to be very difficult to get anything done. Unfortunately, because the idea that you or I have a vote and our vote matters is—I'm not going to say it's a lie, but I don't think it is as a potent idea as we've been led to believe, because we are most certainly not sitting around at the um, the mining club of Sydney in a hundred-seater dining room, uh, sitting there with the you know both current and shadow resources minister <laughs> talking about leases, because we're not fucking doing that. What was that idea you floated last time you were on the show about like as a more democratized repre- representation oh, system? Oh, yeah. Than- yeah, uh, yeah, citizens' assemblies. Yeah, citizens' assemblies. Yeah. Allegra Spender's actually, um, she's the independent candidate, uh, ind- sorry, independent um, MP for my seat of Wentworth in Sydney. Allegra Spender uh, is floating the idea of a citizens' assembly on exactly this, on exactly um, on uh, uh, campaign funding and how we fund uh, the political uh, system. And I think if we get it up, if it gets up, it would be incredible because it's 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 got to be a better way to do it. Did you did you know how much money 
Um, hang on, I've got to get the number because I put it in the show the other day. In the last three years, the total political campaign spend by the five biggest uh, non-political entities, so money spent on a political campaign, not by a political party, um, the five biggest ones in Australia, that in the last three years, that amount, that amount is over three quarters of a billion dollars. $750 million was spent in the last three years on political advertising by people who are not political parties. I don't have access to that kind of sway. You don't have access to that kind of sway. How much is that's Clive Palmer? Well, no, it's not. It's not. He's no, it's just, but it's colossal. And it's a huge amount of influence that is well, well, well beyond and just kind of skewers our idea of representative democracy. And Did you um, – you would have been keeping up with that uh, story about, um, you know, Dominion's lawsuit against Fox News and they've released all the internal texts and emails between, like, Fox News hosts. Oh, no, tell me. Which, please, tell me more about that. Right. So, like, you know, obviously, you know, Dominion, uh, uh, the, the company that ran the voting machines um, in the last uh, election uh, uh, for president in the United States and afterwards a bunch of kind of, like, right-wing kooks, really Rudy Giuliani and, and a bunch of others came out and were saying, Oh, the machines were rigged to, you know, swap votes from Trump to Biden and blah, 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 blah. A lie that was sort of widely acknowledged as being fanciful at best. I think they 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 went to court over 90 times and all of them were struck down. The only ones that were uh, uh, they actually heard were basically on a technicality. Um, so Dominion has sued Fox News for billions of dollars. And part of that discovery um, Fox News has had to hand over like mobile phone exchanges, emails and stuff. And the, there are texts and emails from hosts of the shows like your Sean Hannity's and your Tucker Carlson's and your Laura Ingram's who are talking about these um, election deniers that they were platforming and they're saying these people are insane. We can't have them on the show. Like it's actually ruining our brand. And so what it's sort of proving is that like they're – thinking one thing, but then going on and telling their audience another. And so I've been listening to a lot of kind of um, podcasts about this because there is really, isn't really, a, I mean, there is a legal framework in which this fits, but it, it's not, it's not, the fact that it's got this far is, is quite astounding. Like defamation is really, really hard to prove. And so, uh, you know, what Dominion is arguing is like, well, look, they knew that what was being said about our voting machines was a lie, yet they went out and said it anyway. But what you frame that as in legal terms, like I think it's like malicious intent or, or, or something like that. That's what you have to prove is like they were doing it in order to blah, 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 which is where the gray area is. But just the kind of hypocrisy or the barefaced um, uh, 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 lying from these people. And it's funny because it's always projection, isn't it? It's always like, oh, the, the lamestream media, the mainstream media is feeding you these lies and they don't want you to know the truth. When it's like, but you literally, there is evidence here <laughs> that you don't even believe what you're telling your audience. And the analogy that some one uh, commentator used, which I thought was perfect, is like, um, you know, Fox News isn't Fox News. It is a news product. It has all the appearances of news, but essentially it is just a um, a deflection and propaganda propaganda uh, arm for the Republican Party, or in this case, a very specific agenda, which is like the Murdoch agenda. And I think there's even communications from like Rupert Murdoch himself saying, oh, we really need to ramp this up. We really need to make get that conservative voice out there more. And it's like... I don't know, but this is, comes back to my earlier point of I just don't know that this shit has an impact anymore. Like this is maybe 20 years ago this would be big news, but now it's like it's Tuesday and then we move on to the next news story. They're not going to admit fault. Then, I mean, there, there would be no acknowledgement of this story on any of those kind of Murdoch news outlets and we just sort of roll past it. But it's like and they're always talking about George Soros as being this, you know, progressive socialist, uh, you know, who's paying, bussing in people to vote for Joe Biden, blah, blah, blah. A foreign billionaire who's interfering in American democracy. You literally have a foreign billionaire. <laughs> a foreign billionaire. Like we have evidence of him interfering yeah, with American yeah. democracy, but it doesn't get acknowledged. But it, it's, I mean, what the fuck? Man, it's just, it's, but you're right. It is a product. And I remember having this conversation when we were um, on the Goldie making Bachelor last year. Um, there was a gym in the building we were in and they have like five TVs in there and they had Sky just blaring out of five TVs at once. 
And I remember saying to the, there was two ladies in there. Uh, they were maybe in their 60s. And I said, please, do you mind if I just turn this down a little bit? It's pretty, it's pretty loud. Um, and she went, no, 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 it's just fine. But, I, you know, I do like it. It's fair and balanced. <laughs> and I ended up having this conversation with her going, look, I, I make this stuff. And I can tell you that if there's ads in it, it's a product. And if there's ads in it, your job is to make it as many eyeballs on it as possible. And she, I, 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 I wasn't at my mission to try and, you know, can change her mind and make her suddenly read The Guardian. But I was just trying to explain to her, like, it's a, it's a product like anything else. And, and, you, and, and yeah. let's just say, too, that it, 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 this is a two-side story. I don't think it's as pronounced on one side as the other. I think one side is a little more disingenuous than the other. But there is definitely an idea of pandering to your audience or knowing, like you say, they're selling ads. So you know who your audience is. You know the kind of stories you're going to read. Like, you know, The Guardian is going to write a story about what a horrible man Donald Trump is, and they know that that is going to get clicks. They don't. I mean, the New York Times has oh, tried on, to change that. After they passively, aggressively guilt you, like, you can click ahead if you want, but if you'd like to donate to keep this kind of thing, you go right ahead. If not, please keep reading. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> they do, don't they? Yeah, they totally do. Yeah. It's, all, it's also like when Wikipedia does their fun drive every now and then. They're like, hey, Osher, I noticed you're enjoying this article. <laughs> How many have you read for free? You wouldn't think about throwing us a couple of bucks, would you? You wouldn't like, steal a handbag. You on. wouldn't steal a <laughs> CD. <laughs> 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 um, I, 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 I support people on Patreon. I support, I support Wikipedia. I use Wikipedia a lot. Yeah, and that's I, it's, true. It's been found to be quite a credible source of information. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a product like anything else. And, and if there's anything that we could possibly do, and it's to have some literacy around the news that we're getting in, in, and making this show, I've been, there's some actually really interesting aggregators that you can get news aggregators. I'll, I'll send you one. There's one where you've got a slider and it, it basically, it pulls an, an article about the one thing from four or five different sources and you can slide it left and right, literally left and right. And if not, you can get the, um, you know, conservative view, uh, the liberal point of view, uh, or oh, sorry, so conservative view, the progressive point of view, and you know the 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 fact, the bottom the bottom line, and so you can you can read three separate takes on this piece of factual information, and unfortunately, it's mostly American, but I liked that idea of um, yeah, so you don't have to read five newspapers in a day, you know, you can actually have a have a look and see what's going on, but you only have to look at the colossal power of because people are busy, they're trying to like. They're, they're trying to feed kids and put food on the table and go to their job and, and win the lotto and do what the fuck, make sure the dog's fucking <laughs> shitting everywhere and cleaning up the poo and whatever. They don't have time for anything. And then, but then you look at what, like what's going on in Russia, man. Like, and it's essentially the Russian Alex Jones is, is the on air every night talking about, I think the quote was something like the, the, the Nazi LGBT agenda is threatened to invade, you know, like yeah. what the fucking fuck? Did you see that? Yeah. Did you see that power ballad of the dude, the MP with a guitar in front of the really? nuclear weapons? Oh, I've got to send no. it to you. Like, there's a full fucking, like, no shit, like a Bon Jovi Blazing Glory video, right? <laughs> uh, and in front of nuclear war. Yes, I'm not even joking. <laughs> He's in front of, oh like, God. you know, the hunt for it October. He's like in front of, like, these seven <laughs> giant missiles all standing there. And he's got no shirt on. He's got a jacket. And he's playing his guitar. And he's going, this fucking missile's going to sail across the sky. And NATO's yeah, going right. to fucking eat shit. Yeah. And there's like, pyro. <laughs> it's bonkers. And it's like, it's all shot on a massive big crane. And there's a gimbal and steady cam. It looks like it's been shot out of Eurovision. You look at it and go, Christ, I'm a cracker, man. If I'm busy and I look at that and go, oh, yeah, that looks real, and then carry on. And now that's my idea about a situation. And it, who's got – if you don't have time, we live at – you and I have, you know, it's a fucking Friday at three in the afternoon. We're not doing school pickup. We're sitting here rapping, talking shit about, you know. Yeah. Not everyone has this latitude, you know. Yeah, but even so, like even with almost spare time, I'm still like a lazy consumer. Like I, you know, I want, I, I you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's hard for me to point my finger at one side of the aisle when I know that, like, I want my lefty views curated to me. Like, I'm more inclined to click on a video that is going to reinforce my point of view than one that's going to challenge me. You know, and that's why I kind of like force myself to listen to. I find podcasting is a 
better medium for me to hear complex or challenging discussions because it's 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 I'm less tempted to switch off or switch yeah. across to something else or here's a funny cat video. Or oh no, you're like, right. There's okay. Yeah, there's a there's a, I, I, a British history podcast that I quite enjoy and it's written by two guys who I think. I think one of them is a a Murdoch employee. He's a newspaper writer. And you're listening to him just go, oh, yes, well, of course, they're fucking – get to job. But it's important for me to hear that because that his world is as real to him as mine is to mine. And you're right. With a podcast, it's kind of a bit easier to, to digest. Well, I guess it's for like when I think about you know when I when I am listening to a podcast is generally when I'm you know doing the dishes or going to the gym or I'm involved in some activity where there's a sort of commitment to all right well I'll listen through this where when I'm at my desk in between doing shows or writing or whatever I'm doing like I'm flipping around and it's I, I need small bites as information but I I need to concentrate and listen to that stuff but even then I wouldn't say that I am well informed I definitely view things through my prism you know my kind of whatever my lefty middle-aged white guy living in the northern rivers prism but having said that i have an awareness a self-awareness about the fact that i am uh that i am probably not as well-rounded as i as i could be whereas i feel like i mean another analogy you could use is it's like wrestling now like the news become like the wwe in that we have heels and faces and it's all about like score and points and you know the you know it's just loud broad strokes kind of like headline grabbing or, or clickbait or whatever it is you know and i feel like fox news does it real well they yell and scream and that's a, that's a hulk hogan promo from the 1980s if i've ever seen one but even when you look at like the more lefty like the cnn's or the N- msnbc's or whatever yeah. like they just do the inverse of that. They, and I, just for like, you call yourself a, a, a lefty, but you know, uh, you 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 have petrol in your car. You know, <laughs> you know. I I would say, and this is the 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 kind of weird thing. If you use the ABC vote compass, I found myself way more centrist than I thought I was. It's just because the 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 main voice we hear in Australia uh, is so conservative. I'm. I'm well. I'm not that, so I clearly must be over there. I must be the ones they're talking about. No, the ones they're talking about are the ones who want to liquidate all of my assets and give it to every like that. That's like, and I'm not particularly far, into that. Yeah. But I don't. I don't think yeah. I, you know. I'd say you're, you're fa- a democratic socialist. Yeah, I'd say you're fairly you're fairly middle of anything, Charlie. But on <laughs> wrestling, and this brings yes. us back to the news show. Um, okay, great. There was a story we were we were talking about on January 26th this year. A bunch of actual Nazis with actual swastikas tattooed on their chests who all commune at a boxing gym in Victoria. It's terrifying. I've seen the pictures. 186 of them, all white dudes. You know, sh- sh- this is how big my tomato plants get. You know, essentially. Yeah. With were they the, were these the guys who are, who also march through the Grampians? Yeah, like same they, cats, they, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. they they basically invaded a. Um, morning ceremony uh, of some First Nations people uh, with their white power flags and shit. And so we're te- well, I'm, stay- I'm on stage telling a story about like these Nazis were doing this thing and joining me now is one of these, you know, one of these Nazis and such and such and such. And obviously it's terrifying being on stage in front of, you know, a, a, a room full of people being a Nazi and- Yeah, <laughs> not, a lot, not a lot of wriggle room there. That's a very- fine line, a tightrope for a performer. I was talking to the cast beforehand going, like, this is your chance. This is your chance to be the worst possible human you can possibly be and it be okay. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A heel. Exactly. Like, that's the wrestling like, analogy. Everyone in yeah. the room is desperate to laugh in the face at a person who believes this stuff to be real and you can give them that chance tonight. And we started talking about kayfabe. Now, if you're not a wrestling fan, you may have never heard this word. Uh, they, uh, it's adjacent. If you've ever watched any of the Young Rock, they never say the word out loud, but they do address it uh, quite a bit in the way that they interact when they're out of the ring. Kayfabe is essentially the agreement between the audience and the wrestlers. We know it's not real, but we'll never accuse you of it being fake if you never give us a reason to. And the wrestlers go, we also know it's not real, but we'll never give you a reason to not believe that it is. And this is how someone can come on and go, I'm going to take your children and I'm going to put them in this and I'm going to chop them up in a bag. You know? <laughs> and everyone goes, yeah, fuck him. 
it's fine because it's all play. And ex- exactly that, all that shit you just talked about, that stuff on Fox, all that bluster and, you know, you know, and it's on the same. It's on MSNBC as well. It's all kayfabe. It's all, it's this, it's all performative. It's this show. And I can't believe that they would, and this is just what you'd expect from a certain someone who did something, something, and it's SmackDown. They're going to get it. By SmackDown, yeah. I mean the election. But that's exactly yeah. the same shit. Yeah. It's so cynical when you think about it like that because it's like they're not, they don't not actually believing it, but they know that there there is an audience out there. The difference between wrestling and the news, though, is the the wrestling audience knows it's fake, and like you say, they're complicit with the kayfabe. They're like, we know it's not real, but we're just here to enjoy the show. Whereas I think in the news, it's like so, there's a portion or, or, or of the audience who don't know that it's performative, who think that they actually believe what these people are saying. Like sometimes I see Andrew Bolt, you know, and he'll do one of his editorials or whatever, and I'm like, this is got to be performative like it has to be there is no way someone thinks this or 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 be willing to express this opinion if they weren't specifically targeted on the idea of i want to get a reaction i want to trigger the libs i want to get headlines i want i mean you know like even his defense of george pell it's like oh my god (laughs) it's just in the in the wake of everything that sort of happened, it's like, oh well, I think that there is an element where he goes, well, I, this is my income, like this is what I do. I am a professional bad guy. It's too late for him to kind of like, you know, shave off the edges. It's like, no, this is this is this is my position in the public eye, so I'm just going to embrace it and fuck it. Like I've made my bed, I've made my millions, probably. Like you know, he did this. I don't know if you were aware of this, but he did this whole thing during the Mel- uh, the lockdowns in Melbourne. Like Dan and dictator Dan has has gone crazy with power, and it's forced me to flee this, you know, flee the city of of of. of Lith- he moved to like the Mornington Peninsula, which is like a beautiful part of Victoria. Like it's like saying I'm fleeing Sydney. I'm going to move to the northern beaches. It's like, well, I mean, essentially, you've just moved to a nicer part of Sydney. <laughs> I'm in my Mona Vale bunker with yeah. views of the Pacific yeah. on one side and out. pit like, water on the other. I'm eating an acai bowl and it's warm. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, so great to have you on uh, this particular podcast. We have another podcast called Dad Pod. You've got three, four. How many seasons have we done? Three uh, or four? I think I we, remember. I think we, we hit it's fours four? in the middle of season four. Yeah, that's right. So we have four seasons worth of uh, parenting advice. If people want to check it out, we kind of gave you like a little unofficial uh, episode of Dad Pod at the start where we talked about Bluey. But if you're a parent out there or someone who's expecting, and you're a dad especially, mums can listen to, but mainly for dads, it's uh, it's Osh and I, our journey into parenthood. You can check all those out wherever you get your good It starts podcasts. from before the, our, our youngest kids were born, and it goes all the way up until – I think we stopped. I think we put hit pause. I think in September or October, uh, we did a Christmas episode. We did. Didn't we? we did. We did a Christmas episode, and man, like I still, I, I still, I meet people all the time, Charlie. Uh, just as you meet people whose houses have washed away, I meet people, often women, who say, "My husband really appreciated. Like he listened to a lot of that, and it was really good for him because he did. I tell he, he didn't understand that other other guys were going through it." <laughs> I'm not sure if I told you this story, but a friend of mine was on a date with a dude and he, she's in her thirties. And so like every date she's on at the moment, there is a, look, I'll be up front with you. Uh, you know, I, I want to have kids. We're so, growing like, up. So we have the conversation. It's fine. Yeah. And so she was on this date with this dude and that topic came up and the dude said to her, you know what? Like I never actually thought I wanted to, but I've been listening to this podcast called Dad Pod. <laughs> and in her head she's like, fucking Charlie's podcast. Are you kidding me? <laughs> And I said, well, if you end up hooking up with this dude and you do start a family, well, you can thank me and I'll oh, ex- Your middle name will be Xavier, child of the, like, male or female or whatever child, Xavier will be the middle, just after Uncle Charlie Xavier Clausen. That's, that's what it's going to be. And, Osh, um, if people want to catch your show, is the best place at the Melbourne Comedy Festival or can they still see it at the factory? We're selling out the factory theatre. Like we've gone from selling 26 tickets on the first show. That's another part of the reason I'm shitting myself driving there going, fuck, no one's going to come. We sold out 
uh, within just a couple of shows, we started selling out. And so the promoters said, can you do f- more? Yeah, we can do more. So there's three more shows in the Factory Theatre, 3rd, 10th, and 17th of March. We have special guests every show. Uh, our weather reporter is our special guest. And we've had Dan Illich, um, Josh Zepps, Larry Emder, uh, Matty J. They've all been our weather reporters. Matty J has been an actual weather reporter, so it was actually quite useful. So there's special guests every show. It's super fun. And we start the Melbourne International Comedy Festival on the 30th of March. And we we also got asked to do the Sydney Comedy Festival, which is fucking crazy. That's man. awesome. All right, because you make shit happen. Uh, you, you know make what? Shit happen. You said, you know what? You said, do you have a vision board? I don't, but I do have a Trello board, and yeah. <laughs> a Trello board's <laughs> a Kanban, board. a Kanban board. Now, very, very quickly, everyone talks about Steve Jobs this and da 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 that. Hakechi Toyota, uh, sorry, Satoshi Toyota, Toyota is probably one of the greatest engineering and inventing minds in, a, in the history of anything, created a thing called the Kanban board. And you look into it. But on, my, on our Kanban board, I wrote in September, um, NTNN, NNN, it's a, it's a fake news show where I'm the newsreader and it's, uh, it's real stories, fake news. I read the news and then I throw it to a team of people who have no idea what the story is and then they, then they bring the news as if they're news reporters. And I'm going to do, uh, uh, do a residency in Sydney and in Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And I wrote that in September before I'd even had a conversation with anyone about the show. So yeah, man. I think I do have a vision board and it yeah. actually happened. It's happening. That's awesome. And a good plug for Trello as well if they want to sponsor the podcast. Oh, Mike. <laughs> Mike, come on the show again anytime, Mike Cannon-Brooks. You're welcome. Come to the show. Come to the podcast. Mike, be my weather guy. We'll put links for both oh, uh, the Sydney shows and the Melbourne shows in the episode yeah. description. Osh, thank you for, so much. Do you, want to play us, do you want to play us out? A reprise? Okay, here we go. Faux-faux. <laughs> <laughs>